Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. So with that being said, let's, let's just start before we get to the, to the life-changing moment. Tell them a little bit about your background. I know you and I have had some time to sit and to, to meet, and I, th- I think it's important because I think what's cool about people's stories, it gives us the ability to identify, and I think a lot of times... Like right now, you're sitting in a park around a bunch of people, and I don't even think you realize the things that you have in common and some of the stories, and you may feel less than, thinking that your story is, is not as great as somebody else's story or pastor. You don't know what my story is. You don't know my upbringing. So tell them just briefly a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing, and kind of where you started. Uh, well, uh, I uh, grew up as, a, uh, as an orphan and uh, went from... Uh, several different uh, foster homes in my youth and uh, was uh, always searching for acceptance uh, from anybody. And so uh, there was a missionary pastor, preacher, at one point in my life when I was about eight or nine years old, and he, uh, he told me about God. And uh, he led me to understand God. Uh, so I accepted Christ at a very early age. Uh, walking about two feet off the ground, walked into the house where I was staying, and uh, one of the persons of authority, I told them, I said, hey, I've been saved. And they said, no, you haven't. I said, you're too young. You have no idea what salvation is. So they planted a seed immediately after I accepted Christ. And that seed grew for years. So I tended to keep God for a lot of years at arm's length. I was going to do it my way. I was going to do it the way that I thought it should be done. And uh, so that led, uh, led me down many roads in my life. And uh, always searched for acceptance from God from authority figures. Um, People will disappoint us as we go through life because we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all do things that we we look back on and we we regret and we would have done things differently had we been in different circumstances. So So from the conversation that we had had, the, the biggest thing I want you guys to catch is is with Mr. David growing up with this, with being an orphan and going from different homes and going through different things and the way the authority figures talked to him, his biggest condition was that his goal was, you know, if I can keep everything at, at an arm's length, then I can not get hurt. I'm safe. I'm safe. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a feeling there's a lot of people in this room that they, you know, that's kind of our defense mechanism, isn't it? You've heard me make this comment. It, it's better to love and hurt than never love at all. And what I'm talking about is opening up. Like for a lot of us, our issues is if we can keep things at a distance and not really let them get in, then we don't have to ever worry about changing. We don't ever have to worry about letting somebody down. We don't ever have to worry about them letting us down. We don't ever have to worry about the relationship being broken. We don't have to worry about the hurt. We can keep going with this, right? Yeah. Because because if, if things don't get close, then I don't have to really be real 
and I don't have to really let you know who I am. See, I'm real good at showing you what you want to see when you're not real close. But boy, when you get close, you start to see the flaws. And all of a sudden, when you're worried about acceptance and you're worried about being accepted into something and being loved and, and having a relationship, what if they see something that they don't want? So all of this led up to, to a life where you pursued and, and was successful and, and had a, a lot of stuff going on. But let's talk about this day that happened a few years ago. And I remember getting a call. And, and the call simply to, to me was, pray, I think David's having a heart attack, which really seemed very quick, wasn't something that was on the radar, and all we did was start praying. But give us a little bit more of the details of that day and what was going on. Well, there's a certain symmetry to it because it was almost to this very day that I had a heart attack, uh, two years and one week ago. And uh, I, was, uh, I, I knew I was sick. But there again, too, there's always that denial thing, you know, hey, I'll, I'll tough my way through it. I'm going to be good. Yeah, I'll work through it. It'll all be good. And that didn't happen. I was putting up a shelf in my son's closet, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, something landed on my heart about the size of a refrigerator, uh, so it felt. And uh, things got blurry. Uh, concentration went down. Uh, the ironic thing is, is I had worked as a nurse in the cardiac unit and as uh, in the, actually in the cardiac cath lab. So I knew verbatim what was going on. I'd seen these things, these symptoms before in other people. Uh, so I called my son, who is not home. I'm, I'm at his house by myself. Call him and I said, hey, can't get here. And uh, he said, what's up? And I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. Uh, heard the phone go dead. I knew he was on his way. Uh, then I called Gwen, my, my guardian angel, and now my wife. And uh, I said, hey, call 911. Because I, by that time, I wasn't seeing very clearly. I couldn't really see the, the numbers on my phone that well. Um, so she did just that. And uh, uh, shortly thereafter, my son came busting through the door, followed by the EMTs. And uh, they started hooking me up to all the uh, EKGs and everything. Uh, they determined very quickly that, yeah, I was in cardiac arrest. So let me hit a pause button because he is in the middle of cardiac arrest, having a heart attack, people are on their way. But, but here's one of the, the God sides to the whole puzzle. He calls Miss Gwen, and Miss Gwen calls 911, and then Miss Gwen calls me, which I'm laughing. I'm like, why? You know, but she's like, Mickey, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what condition he's in, but David is having a heart attack. I'm in route. I need you guys to pray. And I, I remember that moment because I was like, okay. And, and here's what, what, what's kind of the part I want you to catch. It wasn't one of those like, hey, I'm going to pray for you, and then you get back to doing what you're doing. Like it was one of those moments that, that we knew that God was in the middle of doing something if we would be obedient and respond. And so we got out on a prayer chain. We started getting everybody, and we started praying. And Miss Gwen started giving me specific details, and we started praying specific things, praying for God to do something bigger than us. 
with the condition that if God would do what he could only do, we would do our part and tell the story. Hence, one of the reasons why we're up on this stage right now. So back. And here we are. Yes. So uh, was uh, loaded into the ambulance and uh, was airlifted to Erlanger. Uh, coded, uh, thank God for God's timing. Uh, they saw fit to put me on a, a chopper. And uh, I coded going through the door into the elevator at Erlanger. And they, uh, they commenced uh, CPR. And uh, so they got me up. Uh, into the cath lab, which that's protocol for uh, an immediate heart attack. Most of the time, is they try to, they figure it's a blockage. They try to find, uh, place a stent. So as they did this, they found that it was the left anterior descending artery, which is commonly called a Widowmaker. Uh, was 100% blocked. Uh, I had coded. Uh, they began defibrillation. Uh, while I was on the table, uh, I coded again. They got me back and I coded again. Uh, this time wasn't so quick and easy to get me back. Uh, was out for quite a spell. Um, while I was in that state, uh, I found myself in a very dark place. And I felt that I was standing on a threshold of something. And the only thing I can, I can the only way I can describe it is time did not exist there. And folks, I was scared. I was scared. And I called on God. And I called out, God help me. And at that time, I got one word. And that one word came to me and echoed through my brain. And that word was repent. 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 And that just echoed through my head. I began to repent on my cath lab table. Well, evidently, I was out for quite a while. As, uh, as time would have it, uh, I lost track of time. I, I, from the time I went into, through the doors at the hospital till I had a, another coherent memory was about four hours. So I know I was out for quite a while. Uh, as I regained consciousness, uh, I had... Uh, all the tubes, all the hoses, my throat, my, my nose, IVs, and they had me tied down. And uh, I'm trying to pull myself loose. And uh, one of the physicians said, you're a fighter. Like, yeah, well, I'm having a heart attack. Uh, this was the same voice that I heard once before when I regained consciousness for just a second when I heard him say, you're losing him. And that's when I went into the, that dark place. And that's when I called on God. Now, that being said, I looked around and there's a, there's a physician and he's standing over the top of my gurney and he's gripping, he's gripping the, the gurney. And his eyes are kind of bloodshot and he's got his mask up and he's got on all his surgical garb. And he said, the first words out of his mouth were Mr. Hyde, Mr. Hyde. I did everything for you that I would have done for any of my family members. And he said, uh, his next statement was, I had to defibrillate you 12 times. And I think the man was telling the truth. I had scorch marks from the defibrillation pads and bruising from all the CPR. And uh, I found that out later on. 
but I wasn't able to talk to him. And but he was he had a captive audience because there I am tied down on a gurney, and he said, "I can't do anything else for you." He said, "Your heart is too unstable, and you're way too weak." He said, "Nothing else can be done at this time." So after that, I remember going out, and I, there, I was out for a period of time, and I remember seeing him the next day. And uh, physical therapy came in, and they decided they had decided that I needed to get up. And so they got me up to walk, and I was as weak as a newborn baby. And so they start to walk me down the hall with a walker, and I made it about 50 feet, and that was it. I was done for the day. And this is how God can rejuvenate us. I was, I was just in and out for the next 24 hours. All the tubes, I pulled all the tubes out myself. And, uh, so, yeah, I was a fighter. And uh, as, uh, as luck would have it, physical therapy comes back in the next day. And they said, you ready to walk? I said, sure. I stood up on the side of the bed, a bit dizzy. They said, you want to walk her? And I said, no, nah, just hold my gown. So here we go. And I walked 500 feet around the wing and back, and she, the physical therapist was kind of chasing me. Well, that's God rejuvenating, God rejuvenating my heart, putting energy back into this body because there's no reason in the world for me to have this strength back this quickly. So where we're at is, is some of us remember this part of the story. Because two years ago, we were doing a series called This Is Us, and I got David to come up and share a little bit of this. And we've talked about this one word, this repent, that when repentance came into his life, everything started changing. Everything started moving. And as you guys, some of you guys that are here today, as you were praying, God was listening and responding, and he was getting this life back in him. Now, what you didn't know is when he stood up on stage or was sitting on stage a couple of years ago, he had a little... You know, now you'd be styling. It'd be like a fanny pack, man. Those things are coming back in. But you had basically a defibrillator type thing that was sitting there that was hooked to his heart. So if something was to happen, it would immediately revive him. Well, being the person that I am, we were up here talking about this story, and I had missed everything that was currently going on. Because I want you to hear, even as he was sharing with us a few years ago, I want you to hear what he was dealing with in his life. The doctor had told you to go home and do one particular thing because he didn't have, for lack of a better word, much hope. And so what was that one thing? Uh, the doctor came in a couple of days later, and he, uh, he said, there's absolutely nothing that I can do right now. Your heart's too unstable. Uh, it's too weak. Your ejection fraction is 20%, which is a grave ejection fraction. Uh, prognosis is not very good with an ejection fraction, which is the blood perfusing, pumping out to the vital organs of your body. He said, so I'm not going to touch you. He said, you, uh, you need to rest. You need to try to re rehabilitate. I said, Doc, let me go home and get my affairs in order. And he looked me in the eye and he said, that's the most prudent thing you can do. So that's what I did. He said, if I don't see you before, he said, I'll see you in two weeks in the office. And he said, honestly, I think I'll see you before then. So uh, I went home. 
guardian angel was taking care of me. And uh, so I, I made my final arrangements, went to a local funeral home and made my final arrangements. And uh, as time went on, God had, God had brought a, uh, a thought back in my mind. There was a time when I used to hike, I used to walk. And oddly enough, that was some of my most peaceful times. I've hiked a little bit of the Appy Trail, I've hiked the John Muir Trail, I've hiked several of the trails around this local, local rivers and waterways. And so the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I can walk, I can walk. And so I started walking, Gwen and I. And oddly enough, we walked the Greenway a lot, quite a bit. And one of the first few times we tried to walk, I made it about three quarters of a mile and that was it. She had to run back and get the car and <laughs> come get me because that was all the energy that I had. And as, uh, as it worked out, God saw fit to make me stronger and stronger and stronger. And uh, I would walk every day, every other day, and I would stretch out my walks from one mile to two miles to three miles and more. And my heart got stronger. I went back for my checkups, and the doctors were all looking at me with raised eyebrows. And they said, there's no logical reason you shouldn't be here. You should be in the hospital. You should be more ill than you are. And so, as Mickey said, I wore a defibrillator and then a monitor for five and a half months. And during that five and a half months, my heart would go through its little rhythm issues, but it was rock solid. Not once did it stall out. That's God. That's God. Now, you had shared with me that in this process going through checkups, they had done so much work. The problem was there was still a, a major blockage. You were still needing, you know, a, another operation, but it really wasn't an option because of everything your heart was going through because your, your heart, though your body was telling everybody everything's great medically when they were looking at your numbers and your heart they were they did not know why you were here you weren't supposed to be for lack of a better word alive you weren't supposed to be walking and doing these things like it wasn't matching up you you had the heart of a for lack of a better word Mr. David, you had the heart of a dead person but you had a life of a living person and there was something else that was there that was needing to be corrected and they didn't know how they were going to do it correct that's it uh they, uh, they kept doing the, uh, they did the ultrasounds and the numbers were not good. Uh, so the doctors would just say, uh, we've got to keep you on the meds. We've got to keep trying to, uh, to, to improve it. And whatever you're doing, keep doing it because it's working. It's working. And my biggest and most fervent answer to them was, it's God. It's God. God had put life back into my body. God had put life back into my heart. Yeah, I made some uh, lifestyle changes and, and so on and so forth. But this is God. This is all about him and his magnification. So, and what, so, so what about this issue with, with this other bypass that you were needing? Uh, April of last year, I was uh, got up and was sitting on the porch and 
there again, everything just felt wrong. So uh, called an ambulance, uh, made my way down to uh, Erlanger, uh, Dr. Stubblefield performed another uh, cardiac cath and instilled four more stents. So I have a total of five stents. He tells me afterwards, and as I'm going back to the room, I feel my body stabilize just that quickly. Blood is going where it should go. Blood is being where it needs to be. And as I go back, get back to the room, he comes in for a follow-up and he tells my daughter, he said, uh, we instill four more stents. He said, there's one artery I can't do anything with. It's too small. He said, if, if I try to stent it, he said, I'll blow it and it'll kill him. He said, but, but, the guy's growing peripherals. He's growing his own bypass. Now that's God. So he says stuff like this medically like, like everybody knows what he's talking about. Like he's talking to me and he told me this and I'm like, a what? Like what, what's, what's a... A peripheral? What, what are you talking about? He says, no, like, like my heart is growing its own new artery and creating its own bypass. Like this artery that is damaged that they can't do anything with because it would blow and kill him is not going to be an issue because God is making a new artery in his heart that is bypassing this old artery so that it won't blow, and so that he would be fine. Like, I, like do y'all understand what I'm saying right now? Because y'all looking at me like you're about to pass out from the heat. We are praying for his heart, and God is making new arteries. God is performing a heavenly bypass. Like, I believe in earthly medicine. I believe it's amazing. I've had it affect my life and my family's life. And I'm so thankful for what doctors do. But when scripture talks about him being the great physician, this is what he's talking about. God still has the ability to say, okay, they did what they can, but I'm God. And you know what? I, let, let me touch your heart. Let me create this peripheral. Let me grow a bypass for you. Let me give you what you need. Why? Just because I love you. And I want you to tell the story. Mr. David, what's the one thing you'd want us to know outside of this story? What's the one thing that you'd say, you know what? Through going through all this, here's the one thing I'd want people to understand. I want people to know that the rule book is the rule book. God follows his own rules. God does miraculous things in our lives if we let him, if we allow him. God will reach out, and if you will get close to God, God will get close to you. The closer we walk with our Lord, the closer I walk with my Lord, the more I find that God is with me. Oh, I still have my little ticks and little tiffs, I'll have a good day. I'll have an off day. I hand it up to God. God, I'm in your hands. My heart's in your hands. When I say that, there's no time flat. God will just naturally make me feel better. That is, that's the way this whole thing has been. It's been such a natural thing 
that you could deny God, but I can't do that. This is undeniable. This is undeniable. My last follow-up with the doctor. I went, uh, went in, we sat, we talked, and he just shook his head. He wouldn't look me in the eye. He said, your numbers are no better than what they were. He said, I'm baffled. He said, I have patients that are, have hearts much stronger than yours, much healthier than yours, and they're not able to do anything that you do. He said, it's miraculous. And I said, yeah, that's God. That's God. He's a technician, a clinician, and a physician. I think he's on his way to being a believer. That's good. He said, uh, he said before I left, he said, there's nothing else I can do for you. He said, you're as healthy as anybody I know on the outside. He said, I'm releasing you. My interventionist said, I'm releasing you. He said, He said, if you need me, come see me. But he said, as far as I'm concerned, you're good. That's, That's good. It. That's good. Will you guys give Mr. David a hand? Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. I, I want to make sure that, that, thank you. You are good. I want to make sure that you catch this because you're looking at a man that, that physically right now, the doctors look at his heart and say, man, you better go. You better go make arrangements and, and get your things in order. If all you looked at was his heart. But if you look at his life and you put his faith in God and what God's doing, all of a sudden it's undeniable. And what the doctor said is, I can't explain this. I'm baffled. This must be miraculous. Now, here, here's the thing that I want you to, want you to catch. And it's in Scripture. And it's what Mr. David said. He said, you know what? If you'll draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That's straight out of God's word. Like God has a commitment that he has given us that if we will draw near to God, he says, I will draw near to you. Now, I, I don't want to leave you with a lie. Mr. David, I love him to death. I've talked to him about this before I'm going to share this with you. Because I don't want to be like, wah, 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 Debbie Downer, right? But Mr. David will die. God did not create him to be an eternal earthly being. And though God is doing the miraculous and has done the miraculous, and you hear his story of how his life definitely lets you know that there is a God and that is undeniable, I don't want you to, to leave here with a false sense of like, wow, like Mr. David, like, like, He's no different than every single person in this park. There will come a moment where we are going to cross this line and there's going to be a judgment. Mr. David talked about how he felt like he was in this dark place and he, he couldn't really explain it, but he started petitioning and, and, and praying and asking God for help. And that one word that God gave him was one word saying, repent. And I just want to make sure that, that you catch this. Right now, because you have breath, God can listen, and your words and your heart can move the heavenly beings, and you can go from a place of unrepentance to repentance. 
You can go from a place of death to life. And God can still do the miraculous. But please know, every one of us, there will come a time where we lose our voice. You won't be able to petition him anymore. The, the deal will be done. It will be settled. And because of what you have done on this earth, you're going to spend eternity either in a place called hell or a place called heaven. My prayer for you, as not only Mr. David shared with you today, but as you hear some other people come August, because you're going to hear so many stories. Like, I've been in ministry for 30 years, but in five years, I've seen God do more in five years in a group of people than I did the previous 25 years of things that you can't explain. I, I grew up, I don't want to be narcissistic, but just so I grew up like I, I was born at Baptist Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. My grandfather did the architect work for the Southern Baptist Convention. I went to Union University, a Baptist school, then went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But I grew up trying to, like if you couldn't explain it, you would dismiss it. And you would dismiss this aspect of faith by saying this, Lord, whatever be your will. Like that was your out. And listen to me, God's going to do his will whether you pray it or not. But the reality is, is God has the ability to do the miraculous today. God has the ability to do whatever it is that you need him to do if you will repent and draw near to him. Some of the things that I told Miss Gwen, and, and I almost wanted to bring Miss Gwen up here on the stage to talk to her because she was the behind the scenes. Like God was doing something miraculous in David's life, but Miss Gwen was the catalyst of the prayer, her and her you know, David's daughter, Angela, you know, they're, we're praying specifically, we're doing things. But one of the things I kept telling Gwen was do me a favor, do God a favor, get specific with your prayer life and get specific with telling the story of what God's doing. Like, I believe everybody wants to have this huge miraculous story, but nobody wants to acknowledge the simple miracles of every day. We've got several people in this room that right now, if they were to start to tell you the story, it's not a whole lot different than David's. It may not be a heart attack, but it may be a cochlea that's damaged and you shouldn't be hearing, but you hear. It may be a bone marrow and a donor. and I mean, like it, it's amazing the things that God's done, and you're going to hear some of these stories coming up in August. But what I don't want you to miss is the fact that here's what I want you to catch. Walking by faith, is an amazing thing until you see the truth. And when you see the truth, you stop walking by faith and you start walking in the truth. Like it's okay to have faith and look at the mountains and say move and God moves them and wow, look at my faith. That's great until you know the truth. And when you know the truth, you quit living by faith. You start living by the truth. You start trusting the truth. And that's the point of today in the park. I want to encourage you to not wait for a metal gurney in a cath lab to get to the point of repentance. And I don't want you to wait until God does something miraculous in your own family's life before you realize how big he is and what he can do for you and in your family's life. Like the same God that's growing a bypass in David's heart is the same God that wants to do something miraculous in yours. 
And so here's my question. As the worship team comes back up. What is it that you need? Like, we don't ask that a whole lot, do we? Like, we're always talking about, like, like loving people well and loving God well and, and not living for ourselves, but, you know, living for a purpose that's bigger than our own lives. You know, we don't want to live our life simply at the end of it to just have our own life. Like, we want to impact other people. It's that last banner out there. You know, we want to make a difference. But can, today, can I ask you a very personal question? What is it that you need? Are, are you dealing with a, a medical situation right now? Are you dealing with a relationship situation right now? Are you dealing with a job situation right now? Are you dealing with a, with a self-image complex right now? Are you dealing with insecurities? Like, what is it? it like, you're like, Mickey, I ain't never going to get up on this stage with you. I ain't no way I'd ever. Listen, you don't have to. But without being on this stage, can I ask you a question? What is it that you really need? And do you believe that God can give it to you? If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.